This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every kind of drinker. They have three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, and they are all alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails, like the ones that you'll find in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore na. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This is available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10. But Alex... Yeah, Shane? Let's begin this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast, episode 110. It's going to be a good one today. It's going to be a good one today. Surprise! (laughs) We have Natasha Sorella, who is my anxiety coach. Wait, what's the surprise about? Because we always say that. It's going to be a good one. Oh, I was just saying- shocking. No, because last week's episode, I still have PTSD from, but we can get to that later. Okay, go. So Natasha Sorella, uh, she goes by My Anxiety Coach online. And we talk about this. It's funny because we actually know each other kind of. She's been up to my family's cottage, even though we've never met. So it was nice to sit down and talk to her. But we talk about recognizing anxiety, recognizing what triggers it, because it looks so different for everybody. We for talk me, ab- it just looks like my wife. <laughs> Borat humor and the hack wife humor all in one. Uh, We talk about supporting somebody who has anxiety and anxiety in kids, helping kids recognize the signs of it, knowing when your kid is actually anxious versus, you know, when they're just being shy and then how to support them through it. So really great talk, really fascinating. And uh, Natasha was super candid about her own experiences throughout. So I really appreciated that. Have you been supporting me? Am I the person with anxiety in your life that you're supporting? I'm trying to learn, Shane. You're hard to support. (laughs) Am I? (laughs) Okay. Do you have anxiety? About some things. My anxiety was eased today a little bit, though, with the fireplace kerfuffle. Uh, Let's get into it after the seed lip. (laughs) Let's get into the seed lip. Well, let's get into the seed lip. And Shane, cheers. This is a bit of a special seed lip drink. Mm. I did the seed lip peel non-alcoholic cocktail which is the first seed lip cocktail that i actually ever made us that was like fancy it is rather appealing it is so i used a comedy uh, show people seed lip grow 42 carrot cordial which is like a it's like a sugary syrup yeah made of carrot peel it's delicious and then soda and you might think like carrots in a cocktail but oh my God, carrots in a cocktail, a mocktail, I should say. Try this. It is so delicious. And I have not had a alcoholic beverage in weeks, like three yeah. weeks now. Yeah. And I needed a drink substitute, like an alcoholic drink substitute. Mm-hmm. And this is perfect. Well, you're and welcome. And it is relaxing for me. But yeah. Whew. Okay, do we get into the fireplace? Or are you happy? You're feeling good, right? I'm feeling good right now, actually. I'm I'm really exhausted, but I have energy to sit and chat. Because you you pulled like an all nighter because you're anxiety was, <laughs> yeah. or anxiety, you call it, right? <laughs> well, I stopped six months ago. I 
used to think anxiety was anxiety, but now we know, okay, I'm only 32. Give me a break. But yeah, my anxiety over this stupid fireplace was at a height. It was at a peak last night and this morning. And the reason for that is usually when you buy a fireplace, it's supposed to sit in a hole like that where fireplaces go. This is a massive fireplace, however, and it doesn't fit in the hole. So it protrudes out quite a bit, like much further than we anticipated. So it's making our room look much smaller because, yeah, it's about how many in 15 inches sticking well, out further than we wanted? No, eight inches farther than we wanted. Eight, in, eight inches farther than our other one. Okay, yeah. So, but... And then, then a mantle is going to be built around it, which is really going to make this room seem smaller. So we had a person come over to see if they could knock down our chimney. And I, I have to say, thank you to Brittany, who is a, you know, a, a community member of this family tree, because she put me in touch with her husband, who is like a Red Seal Mason and has so much experience with this. And he came over first thing this morning because we were feeling so awful. <laughs> yes. So kudos to both Brittany and her husband, Mark, because they made us feel a little bit better because I was thinking, oh, I'm getting claustrophobic in this room. And now the room's gotten even smaller. So Mark came up with the ideas to do another renovation and just knock down another wall and make our house look bigger. So although that is another renovation project, and I said you should not do renovation projects, you should just buy another house <laughs> that has what you want, we may be doing renovations for the rest of our life. But at least it's a carrot dangling that even if we're unhappy, we know that one day maybe we could be happy. Yeah, and I don't think we're going to be unhappy, Shane. I think well, it's like freezing in here too right now. So I think that once we are in the house, we got the fire a roaring and we are so snuggled up. And, you know, when you can finally have a drink again and we're sipping a little wine on this couch ski, we're going to feel so good. Well, I turned the air conditioning on because I was getting – do you oh, get Shane, stress it's freezing. sweats? It's freezing in well, here. The I, I kept the door open for a while because I was sweating so bad. Is it is the air conditioning still on? Yes. I gotta, I gotta, are you okay if I go turn it off? I'll overheat, but I guess I'm fine. Okay, I was wondering what was wrong because I have a vent directly behind me and it's blowing cold air on me. I thought it was from the gaping fireplace hole. Yeah, well, I'm doing this podcast is now giving me, st stressing me out, especially last week. We had to do two recordings in a three. row. Three. Three recordings in a row. So we did a really great episode then I, I didn't record it, so I had to record it again, and then I got frustrated because the episode wasn't turning out well, and then we stopped and did it again. So I started overheating just at the prospect of recording this podcast. But are you still feeling stressed now that we're into it, or are you feeling okay? I guess I'm okay. You seem good, and that's yeah. rubbing off on me a little bit. But topic number one is... <laughs> Alex did a really weird dance when I said topic number one. I know, one. like I did like a shimmy as like 
if I was going to get my hands in it, I'm, I'm sitting on them because they're cold. But if I was going to get my hands in on it, they'd be like rubbing together being like, ooh, what's the topic? You know that disingenuous <laughs> stuff bothers me. It's not. I'm excited. <laughs> no, you would never act this way in real life. Well, what's real life? Who's watching us, Shane? Who's this excited for topic number one, which is daylight savings time? <laughs> do you like it or do you not? I hate it. I like it. I'm tired. Yeah, that's good. I like being tired when it's early. <laughs> yeah. I love being tired when it's actually the right time to be tired. Mm. Getting to bed early. I love the kids in bed early. Oh, I yeah. think for a parent, daylight savings time when you gain that hour, is it fall back? Spring fall ahead? back. I think we've. This is regardless what it is. Yeah, it's too much of a mind it. thing for me. This is the good one that happens at this time. If you're a parent. And if you're if you're just a person partying, it's also the good one because then you get the extra hour at the bar. Yeah, I that one night. But it's, if you're a parent, Lucy looks at the window. She goes, "It's dark now. Time for bed." Mm-hmm. And then it, we we got them. We've been getting them up at like five nineteen p.m. <laughs> well, you and I have also been heading to bed at nine p.m. every night. And folks, Shane and I were like. Let's head to bed at 11 p.m.ers. That that was Keep our Keep in normal. mind, though, I had full-blown flu and the whole family was infected. Yeah, I was not. Except for you. I've just enjoyed going to bed at nine. Our, so Nona, who looks after the children, yes. she, she couldn't come in. Lucy, me, and Betty were all affected by this. And I haven't been able to go on the Peloton. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to do a thing where I went on the Peloton every single day. I had eight days in a row. And now my streak, I'm like eight days off being on the Peloton. Yeah. So this is, that's got my anxiety a little up because <laughs> I have this shoot coming up, which I keep talking about, but I'm starring in a sketch show. So can we talk about this a little bit? Well, I got to, I, I got to, it's not huge because it's a pre-pilot for a sketch show that may never get picked up and no one will ever see just to clarify. But, but. That doesn't matter because this is a huge labor of love for you. And even, like you even said it today, you said this is something I've always wanted to do. And Well, because we fact- were arguing. You're like, why are you taking a call while we're in Shoppers Drug Mart? I'm like, I'm producing a thing I've been trying to do for 38 years. I'm like, being- well. <laughs> it's understandable when you put it like that. No, but it, it is so understandable. And Shane, it is so exciting. Uh, so Shane essentially was – you've managed to, throughout this pandemic, get a team together of some of the best, most talented people you know in the industry, like actors, cameramen, directors, producers, everything, like even lighting guys, I think. What, like, what, I don't know what these positions well, do. DOP, a, a director yes. of photography, mainly they handle lighting. A lot of people think they work the camera, but mostly what a cinematographer, a director of photography does is uh, manipulate the lighting. See, I thought I was off base with that, but I was no, right. No, you're correct. Yeah. Okay. So, Anyhow, you put together this like super Marvel level team of dream team. awesome people. Yeah. And you, for the past two years, have been writing sketches with somebody also that we work with and who we've talked about on this podcast, Jillian Smart, who manages our TikTok account. And she is a hilarious. She lives young up to that last name. Woman. Yeah. And uh, you guys are putting on this show like you're you're doing a pilot you're gonna pitch it but the fact that you assembled this awesome team and created what is bound to be like a hilarious pilot that's amazing that that is so much work and shane has been working just for listeners working his ass off like you have no time to crap and you are doing this you i i i have so much like i'm i'm kind of in awe 
I've had time to crap, just not to sit down and pull my <laughs> pants down. It's, <laughs> but I definitely haven't showered in three days. Not sure if you've noticed that, but yeah, it's been tough. And this enthusiasm on the microphone, I wish it could be in real life too, because I haven't been feeling this love, but I do appreciate it better late than never. No, I, I have this love for you, but am I also frustrated because now the brunt of other things falls on me a little bit, but I don't mean to take it out on you. And I want to be better at that while you do this project, because I know how amazing it is and I know what a big deal it is. And I'm so sorry that I got frustrated with you today. I'm sorry. I've been having an emotional day. I'm so Are sorry. you laughing or crying? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, and you know it's uh, it's been a, it's been a trip. I I don't know if it's the the renovations that's really got us at a breaking point, but we're both undertaking a massive project. And yeah, this pilot's exciting, but I don't think it's any more or less work than this fireplace renovation or stress because it is it's tough. And this has been hard on you. And I know we're both on edge. And usually in a relationship, one person is on edge because they got something going on. The other person's there to catch the other person. But I don't think we're both there to catch the other person on their emotional uh, breakdown. Yeah, yeah. I think there's breakdowns, but I think ultimately it's all for the best, Shane. Like I think think everything's going to be good. It better be. It's hard to believe you, like you do instill confidence for moments, but then you'll (laughs) break down and cry and then you'll be laughing like the Joker or something. I'm all over the place. I can't control my feelings right now. Oh man. But Shane, I I am so confident in you and your superhero team. Like I'm very confident and I'm very excited to see what you guys come up with. So the next two weeks are going to be very tough. Are you going to be supportive of that outside of the podcast? Freaking Shane, I'm supportive. Okay. Yes. I am. I said yes. If I wasn't supportive, today would have been not the first time that I had a little conniption. I am supportive. I love what you're doing and I'm very excited for you. Okay, what is Alex <laughs> upset with this week? This is a new segment. I think it's called What's Alex Pissed Off With This Week? Yeah, we will say ragey. What's Alex raging about? Yeah, what, what's the rage this week? <sighs> Just limit it to one thing, though. This is only well, <laughs> a, supposed to be like a 20-minute opening. Well, I was going to say my, my thing was going to be second week in a row fireplace, but I, I really do feel better about it. After having the guy come in this morning, he eased my everything so well. Like, I, I really had a visceral, like, physical reaction to the fireplace this morning because I spent all night looking up how impossible it was. And I just knew. I knew it was impossible. And I was so nervous about what that was going to do for us. But he came in and he was like, nah, this is good. This is a sweet fireplace. You're going to have a big honk and mantle, but it's going to be perfect because it is such a statement piece. It's going to look great in here. And he goes, I wouldn't change it. <laughs> well, and- what happened was he he said, well, you could just sell this big one and get a littler one and get it right in there. And then he saw your eyes fill up with tears. <laughs> and then Mark went into like, I'm a motivational speaker now. I'm going to switch that idea because that didn't work. He goes, you know what? 
This is a perfect unit. People are going to walk in here and say, wow, what a great fireplace. It's and true. He, he was really selling it and being that positive energy you'd want. And he read the room properly, no pun intended, but he <laughs> could see that's what we wanted to hear. And he gave us that. And he gave us a solution on how to make our now shrinking room seem bigger by knocking down a wall, which, yeah. yes, it's another renovation, but seems hopeful it's going to be like fifteen thousand dollars cheaper than making the chimney out and kicking making this thing fit in the hole Mm -hmm. yeah that's really all i have right now do you have anything else you want to chime in on oh i know what i'm pissed off at oh sorry i myself Mm. for uh and i i think this is something that a lot of parents can relate to i know a lot of moms that i'm friends with anyway i can relate to it you can but you and i kind of talked about this the other day I'm pissed off with myself in how I have in the past couple weeks, this week specifically, been handling patience and frustration and everything. Like I yelled at Lucy. I mean, like she kind of deserved it, but still I yelled at her. It's not her fault. She doesn't know how frustrated I am. But calling her a little turd felt inappropriate. I did not do that. Don't (laughs) say that. People are going to take you seriously. But uh, yeah, and... I yelled at her and it's like, no matter what she does, it unless it's a safety issue, like, between, you know, if she's going to run in the road or if she's going to hurt Betty or something, I don't, it's, I, I don't believe in yelling, you know, unless there's imminent danger. And I did because I was frustrated and I was overflowing with emotion and everything. And I felt so bad. And then she came up to me after and she said, mommy, I don't like it when you're angry. angry. I like it when you're happy. And that just made me break down. Like, of course, I felt so bad for, I don't know if it scared her or what. I felt so sick about it. And obviously, this has to do with me and not taking care of myself properly and not making sure that I'm handling stress and being overwhelmed and everything okay. But it has nothing to do with her. And I I was really pissed off at myself for reacting that way. Well, sometimes she does act like Chucky out of the film (laughs) Chucky. So I would say she had something to do with it. Three has entered like the phase of three years old she's in right now is somewhat evil. But it's 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 like the (laughs) cutest and most loving slash the most evil. Yeah. And I feel like me being the dad, I do get a lot of. I don't know, weird anger thrown my way from Lucy. Like she tells me she doesn't like me. She likes everyone else better. Some She'll hit me sometimes. She Well, she was doing that to me the other day too. So like I went and she had to go potty in the middle of the night. So I go to help her. And she's like so tired. She's stumbling and everything. And I go, Lucy, let me help you. She goes, no, I don't need you. I do not need you. And then she just sat there peeing for like 30 seconds saying, I do not need you. I don't need you. I do not need you. And just like it it was it was hurtful. <laughs> it was so hurtful. But with me, she's actually hurting me. And I think she has the idea that dads are supposed to be really strong because sometimes <laughs> we've been like, who do you think stronger, mommy or daddy? And then I'll like flex and we'll talk about how strong I am or how tall I am. So she kind of acts like she's Mo in the Three Stooges and I'm the other one. And she can like poke me in the poke eyes with eyes two out. fingers and slap me and punch my face and... 
sometimes it hurts. And but like, we're not letting her do this. Like we're no, but a couple times it is funny to just watch her like treat me like I'm a stooge. <laughs> so we'll laugh inadvertently, and she'll laugh, and we have to stop doing that because I'm going to be seriously hurt soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's true not so strong anymore are you it's hard i don't care three-year-olds are <laughs> strong betty's strong at betty's strong yeah how old is she 16 months old yeah lucy's really strong when she gets those like knuckles oh and, i, know. I and know her fingernails can really cut you well we've been talking a lot about consent with lucy and like she likes to put her hands on my face and squish my face which i'm like you know so i speak in a funny voice when she does that i'm fine with that if we're playing and i'm okay with that but sometimes i'll say lucy don't touch my face and then she'll keep touching my face so i'm trying to really teach her the difference of you know the fact that no means no and if somebody says not to touch them anymore you can't even if you're playing and it is a hard concept i think for kids to grasp but if we just keep up with that then it will be just innate right and it will be something that's so easily understood eventually i hope yes but shane i have a question for you what is it it's been a week with the haircut how are you feeling well well, I'm getting a lot more cat calls walking down the street, so that's awkward and uncomfortable for Don't me. Don't make me jealous. <laughs> no. Uh, you look super dashing. I didn't oh, think I'd you. like the short hair as much as I Do you I am. like it better than the long hair? You look really good right now. Do you like it better than the long hair? I, don't I just know. want a direct answer. Well, I really loved the long hair. Yes. Right now, like the way you look this second, yep. I do. You look really sexy. Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, I definitely like it. And for the purpose of the sketch show, which is why I needed to cut it, this is more all-purpose utility haircut where I can – it's not too short. It's not too long. So I could be an office employee one sketch, and then I can be an executive in mm -hmm. another. And like I'm, there's like a sitcom sketch in another one. But yeah. But the guy who did it did a good job. Well, did we talk about how I, no, I got my haircut twice? No, because we – we couldn't approach it because we potted on Saturday and we did the two haircuts, the double cut on oh, Sunday. Oh, yeah. So I went to one of your ex-boyfriends <laughs> and I got, I went to, a, he owns a haircut place. What Barbershop? Barbershop. <laughs> yeah. And someone cut my hair there. Great hairdresser. But because I'm wearing a mask, mm -hmm. they can't see my face. And at no point did I take off to my mask to reveal my face. So the haircut looked pretty good with the mask on but the second you take the mask off i look like javier bardem in no country for old men mixed with like a woman like a karen haircut i guess like can i just say that was when you got up from the chair and started walking over to I know. me I, I, was, I was like do i say something do I say something? Well, you, you didn't need to say anything because I couldn't get a sentence out without you laughing. So in the car on the way home, you just kept your eyes straight. And anytime you glanced at me, you'd bust out laughing, which made me very uncomfortable, especially knowing that this is going to be like immortalized. This haircut is going to be immortalized on like film. Oh and I'm going to have to show people this haircut forever. So we get home. I try to like... You go, just wet your hair. If you wet your hair and style it yourself, because it's hard. sometimes. For a guy, it's hard, especially if you have shorter hair, you get a cut and somebody styles it and they haven't known you your entire life. 
they they don't do it right and it looks awkward even if they're really great stylists so i threw water i tried to make it look good and you came down to talk to me again and you start laughing <laughs> and so we called an emergency haircut because you have another person who owns a and, like a, a shop. childhood friend and i went in but when i sat down i was trying to be like with the guys like look how bad this haircut is on me and they go, this is a dope haircut. You look like Johnny Depp, man. Two and, barbers were yeah. standing there and they were like young, cool guys. And they're trying to convince Shane to like, keep it. Like they're, they're basically telling him, we don't want your money. Keep this guy. Yeah, they were analyzing my hair from the back and saying how like perfect it was done. So I take my mask off. I, I asked for permission because I, I was like, let's go outside. I want you to see mm-hmm. my face. I take and they go, just take your mask off here because it was a it was six feet apart from everyone. I take off my mask. And they go, okay, yeah, I still like it. It's a cool haircut. I convinced them to cut it. But I'm thinking, am I going to get a worse haircut now? <laughs> but I really like this cut. He did Getting an amazing two job. haircuts in a row might be my new thing. Because you kind of get the best <laughs> of both worlds. No, but this guy really did a good cut on you. And yeah. this is, I think, this cut, since we have known each other, might be one of your best cuts that I've ever seen you get. Yeah, it's a I good really one. Like I really like it, this yeah. guy. Andrew was Andrew his name? At, at Architect. Architect. Go to him. Mm-hmm. It, it was, was really good. good. But yeah, that's that's what I have for the opening. Well, hey, do we let's get to my anxiety coach. Let's um, get so do to, you talk about me a lot in this interview or no. I talk about my own stuff. I talk about your stuff. But this is an interview that I think would have been great to have you for, just because we talked about how different anxiety is for different people. Mm-hmm. And it just would have been great if you just smelled your armpit. <laughs> well, I'm having stress sweat right now. It's hard to focus when you're smelling your armpit. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find anyway. when you have bad anxiety that you smell different? Yeah. Well, I I smell different when I'm menstruating. Well, like not menstruating, but like different times of, you know, in my cycle. Yeah. Postpartum, like when I'm in those like first five months postpartum crazy smell it's more and of a yes or no question <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah yeah I'm, I'm down to talk about that though i think it's interesting <laughs> okay let's get to this interview with my anxiety coach natasha sorella natasha i'm so happy that you're here so my mom knows you my brother knows yeah. you and it was funny because i was talking to my mom i was telling her that i was having you on the show today uh, and she was like, oh, we had such a nice time at the cottage. Like, you've been in my family's cottage. Yeah. So so what is the connection? You're dating Kyle? Yeah. So I've, I've been dating Kyle for almost three years now. I met Jake pretty early on. And obviously, I hadn't known, like, his ex-girlfriend, Alana. And, like, we've hung out a couple of times. I've been to the cottage twice. And it's funny because when, like, they have, all of them have supported me on Instagram for a long time like since starting almost a year ago. And when I met your mom at the cottage, she was asking me and I, the, the, I'm sure you probably, or maybe you've gotten over this, that question of like, what do you do for a living? And it's such a nerve wracking question, especially to be asked by like a different generation. Cause they don't get it. And as soon as I kind of gave your mom and your dad, the snippet of like what I do, they were like, we have to connect you with our daughter. You would just love her. I followed you guys on Instagram. Like, I don't know, maybe this summer. I love, I just, I love everything you do. I just think it's absolutely incredible. You bring such a, like, I I find it like dry humor in some way that people just don't get. And I, I have a big appreciation for it. I also have like a lot of dark humor that I don't showcase on my page. But like people don't really get the dark humor and anxiety. Yeah. 
yeah. So that's kind of like the connection there. I thought it was, and then when you messaged me, I was like, Oh, I wonder if Lorna had said something, but yeah. No, it was actually, so my husband started following your page because he, he, he connects a lot with anxiety content because these are things that he has always kind of lived with and coped with. So he started following and he's like, oh, Lorna and Jake followers. So he didn't know. He was like, oh, maybe she was one of my mom's students or something. Yeah. And then he was telling me, he's like, Alex, we got to have her on the show. Her, her content's awesome. I started following you and yeah, your content's great. Thank I you. really want to talk to you about this. Like my experience with anxiety is so bad that I only learned how to say anxiety correctly like last spring during this podcast I was saying anxiety like (laughs) not anxiety I didn't know there was that hard like g noise or whatever that is and and truly my experience with it is little to none I suffered from postpartum anxiety after I had my first baby Mm-hmm. And now with this one, postpartum rage, but it's it's not the same thing. I I, I don't feel anxious, uh, but it is something that you know Shane experiences, his sister, his mother to some degree. So it's something that I'm kind of surrounded with, and yeah. I want to learn more about. And what I love about your page is that you talk about anxiety from the position of someone who suffers from it, but also you give content to the people around that person how they can support them, how they can be there for them. And I kind of, I just want to start with you and why you got into this, but what exactly do you do? So I am an anxiety coach. So essentially I had no intentions of really even taking um, or to, to basically making my platform a profession. Mm-hmm. I had started a page solely at one really, really dark, but beautiful point in my life where I was like, I've had enough of like feeding into and and feeding into my anxiety and also self-sabotaging that I got to bring some light to it. So I started this page, made some big jumps in my life. And shortly after starting, people were like, how can you support me? I want to work with you. And I was like, oh, this is kind of scary because I think There is also a lot of gray area around supporting people when you're not under a regulated profession. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew about coaching, although I do have a background in social work and a minor in psychology. It's been something I've, I've like naturally done my whole life is support people. So right now what I'm doing is I work one-on-one with people who have anxiety, whether that was something that they had a diagnosis around or they've kind of come to understand about themselves, because that's also possible. I think mm-hmm. there's not enough credit given to people about being able to understand what's going on for them and in not having to fit into this perfect diagnosis, especially, especially with anxiety, because it's so different for everyone. And, you know, the more research that's being done on it, we're discovering that there's so many different, different subcategories, I guess, of it. Um, So I work one-on-one with people who have anxiety, whether they've been diagnosed by a professional or not. And I coach them and coaching can be really anything. It can be talking about their life experiences and it can be setting goals. It can be talking about coping mechanisms. It's, it's really just meeting a person where they're at. And then I'm also working on a a program right now that works on inner child healing through journaling, because journaling has been such a big 
area in my life that has improved my anxiety and inner child healing, which I honestly only found out about a year ago, working with the mental health professional myself and just recognizing how a lot of the anxiety that presents in my day-to-day life is coming from this younger version of me that still lives within me. It's the lens that I see the world through. Um, And so learning how to parent that child that's never kind of leaving me has been so, so powerful in healing my anxiety. That is so fascinating. So I've never, I've never heard of that. And I want to touch on that more. Uh, But, you know, so you, this inner child, you're seeing the world through a certain lens and you deal with anxiety, as you said, Uh, you started the page during a, as you worded it, beautiful, but dark time in your life or dark, but beautiful time. So your experience with anxiety, has it something, is it something that's always been present in your life or did it come later? Like how, how have you kind of been on that journey? Yeah. So if I like kind of look back in my life, I think anxiety was kind of present, very present to me when I was about seven, I was only diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and a major depression at the age of 17. So there was a big area in my life where I kind of knew something was up, but didn't necessarily have the support or couldn't quite put a finger on it Mm -hmm. as to why I was feeling the way I felt. But, and it's, and it's interesting too, because I thought that the way my anxiety presented itself when I was seven would be very different than the way it presents itself today. And I'm learning more and more that not much of um, the way it shows up in my life is actually very different. It's just how I've been able to work through it. Okay. And how does anxiety show up in your life? In my personal life? Yeah. I say when there are periods of time where I can't work myself through anxiety, it's a lot of racing heart, sweating, agitation. I get very agitated. I can't really focus on tasks at hand at hand and dissociate, which means like, I essentially don't even feel like a human in my own body. Like I'm in in a whole complete other dimension and I worry, I worry a lot. And I think I know that an episode or I'm working through intense anxiety comes up when, because we all naturally worry, right? Mm -hmm. Worrying is is a very normal and healthy part of the human experience anxiety developed from the place of needing to keep ourselves safe like within animals and then humans and the way we evolved obviously things have changed but i when i look at the things that i worry about what i've been able to notice is the really intense worry it will i will usually not be able to see the in between of what I'm thinking and what could possibly come at the worst case scenario in the end. So I'm incapable of having any sort of timeline or understanding to know what happens in between from feeling like this to worst case scenario. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And I I have a question about this because I feel that I'm the same way, but I, I wouldn't say that in general life, I'm an anxious person, maybe with certain scenarios. And before I really had anybody in my life that was had anxiety, 
I would just pass it off and say like, oh, like everybody's anxious, relax. Like my husband will talk about being anxious in social situations. And I'm like, hey, like I am too. I'm a super social person and I'm anxious. I get nervous about what to say. If I say the wrong thing, I think about it for two weeks after. So like what's what's the difference? And I, I know rationally, I know that there is a difference, but sometimes it's still hard for me to wrap my head around because I do have these feelings too, and I, I know everybody does. So when does it cross over into, you know, an anxiety disorder or something that you need help with in in some way? I don't think that you necessarily would have to like have anxiety an anxiety disorder to think about, you know, you made a decision and then you're like two weeks later, like, oh, that was weird. Like <laughs> thoughts are thoughts. You, we don't even realize as humans how much our minds and our brains are processing the stimuli, which are the thoughts coming in and out. Like we're constantly doing that and we're taking in what feels important and what's not. And so it won't be surprising if, you know, you had a social situation where you're like, oh, this like, this was weird. And then two weeks later, it kind of like randomly pops up in your head and you're like, oh, that was strange or like, you know, but I think what, what is the difference and something to look out for and then ponder on whether you need to get support or not is, is that impacting your everyday life? So, you know, you have this weird social situation. Um, it made you feel uncomfortable. Then are you thinking about it for the majority of every day? Are you using that experience as something to kind of navigate your way through every other potential social situation? I mean, anxiety goes outside of social situations, but for the sake of what you're asking, it's like, is that impacting you every single day? And is it making you like, what is it making you feel like? Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part too about anxiety is that everyone's experience of it is so different. Some people are just excessive worriers and don't necessarily feel the physical sensations that come with um, anxiety. So they just think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm an overthinker or I'm a perfectionist or all these different other labels and labels are a whole other conversation. But I think what it comes down to is like recognizing how much it's impacting your everyday life and your ability to, you know, be happy and feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And I guess carry on with your experiences. And, you know, you said they don't, some people might have the worry and the overthinking, but not necessarily the physical aspect. Is that the physical aspect, like you mentioned earlier, um, sweats, heart racing, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. So like anything along that those lines, like some people feel really, really nauseous, like TMI, and I don't really care. But like, some people experience constipation or diarrhea, like, and there's such a link between the mind and the gut as well, that sometimes we don't realize that that could be technically what's going on by physical symptoms. I just mean like anything that you would notice in the body that doesn't necessarily relate to the mind process. Although your mind processing is technically physical. Mm -hmm. And does that make sense? No, it does. It does. And when you think of anxiety and, you know, the way it presents in different people and again, my experience is so limited because I can only speak as on postpartum anxiety. So that anxiety was centered around solely around my family unit. So my kid and my husband. And I'd be anxious about those two all day long. But then the world in general, I'd feel very chilled out about, very relaxed, had no issues. But then when it came to, you know, my husband being out and maybe not calling me at a certain time or something, 
I'd get really freaked out and I would be like he met another woman it's over he went to a bachelor party one weekend he came home and I was like I guess we're getting a divorce now and he was like what are you talking about now I was like well you forgot to call me on Saturday night or whatever and it was it's like my mind goes to these terrible places in really extreme places in that situation then again with my kids right I can't help but thinking like if we're crossing the street in my mind I will picture a car plowing through and like killing my kid and then in my mind's eye I can see all of this happening and it's like constant no matter what we're doing I can always see worst case scenarios and that's my experience with it but how does anxiety typically present in people like is is it all like that or I want to I want to touch on like how it will present itself but I think there's something really powerful about what you said and I'm reading this book called The Mountain Is You by Brianna Weiss. I hope I'm saying that right. And one of the things that she mentions is that we have this expectation with big positive life um, events that it's going to bring us to another level of happiness. Mm -hmm. And so we get this like, we get spikes in our chemical reactions and then we hit major depressive episodes with it because there's this expectation and when I hear you say things like oh you know but because I I I I couldn't tell you how much I think childbirth is such a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. and I cannot wait to be a mother and I always think like oh my god when I become a mother it's going to make me such I'm just going to be so much happier and all these you know the the fairy tale aspect Mm -hmm. around being a mother but then I but then I hear things like this and I I remember like you know, it's such, it's, it's a, it's a whole life change and no wonder you feel anxious because at the end of the day, I think being a mother brings on a whole other set of worries that we never imagined until we're put in that position. And, you know, that worry about, you know, your partner potentially going out one night and cheating on you and not checking in on you. Like, does it come from a place? Like my question would always be, does that come from a place of like maternal protection? Because Mm -hmm. you want, you want this, like, beautiful, stable family unit. And if your partner were to do something that goes against that, think about how much stress that is. And that's anxiety. That's exactly what it is. Anxiety is like very in your, in your situations, very situational. I think it's interesting when you ask me and people love to ask me this is like, well, how, how does it start? And there, there is research to say that it's not necessarily from like an experience of trauma, but I think there's always something that triggers it. Mm -hmm. So in your situation, it might just be like the responsibility of motherhood that, that kind of like brought that on for you. And like your, the pressure you also put on yourself to be the best mother possible. And no wonder, Mm -hmm. like everyone, I would hope everyone wants that. (laughs) Um, For some people, it comes from traumatic experiences that they don't even know exist. Like Mm -hmm. I've heard stories about someone moving from their childhood home unexpectedly. And then the way that that presents to them can be they're afraid of driving. And you're like, well, why, why would you be afraid of driving? And it's this idea of like the fear of losing control. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, it presents itself in such interesting ways. So I would say that like, it's, it's not necessarily that you have to have something traumatic happen to you, but I think anxiety comes with prolonged stress. I think it can come with um, definitely like brain chemicals, genetics I think it can also come from like the environment that you're in if you mm-hmm. are surrounded by people who are anxious that might kind of like trickle onto you if you are someone who is thinking that you might struggle with anxiety or you're finding yourself a little bit more anxious than normal like try to understand what 
where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. Well, what you said too about in that book you're reading and the expectations kind of leaving you in a place of, I guess, feeling like there's a deficit after it's over in a big life change, even after our wedding. So it was like months of planning. We we got married after, well, we got engaged after like seven months and then married at a year together. And uh, so it was like a few really crazy months of planning and just heightened everything, right? We had the wedding, best day ever, honeymoon, best ever. And then upon coming home, those first few days home, what are they, the wedding blues or whatever they call it? And it's because you come home and then you're still the same people. You just don't have this big thing in your life to constantly occupy you. And it's kind of weird. And then I think the expectations that I had that were met by my wedding and our honeymoon and everything around that just kind of left a deficit in me, like a joy deficit almost when I came home. And then it, I mean, it didn't last long, but I definitely felt weird for a couple of weeks. And that makes so, so much sense to me. The book, I, I'm going to butcher this if I try to say it. So I would <laughs> highly recommend like reading it or you know, I can share some information with you after, but it says people believe that dopamine is the chemical that produces pleasure. Dopamine is being, is being reevaluated now to be not the chemical that produces pleasure, but the chemical that causes you to chase more pleasure. Ah. So, you know, in these situations where these big life events happen or, and you see it in people's careers, you see it in, again, like something like being married, going on a honeymoon, your sense of self is heightened. And then this happens. And rather than it having this prolonged effect on you, you're like, okay, well, what's next? And if there's nothing else there for you, you're automatically like, oh, well, something's wrong. And then if you're an anxious person or someone who's like kind of worked through depression or has, has that like Mm -hmm. predisposition, you're automatically feeling like defeated yeah. and there's like, or feeling that there's a deficit. So there's no wonder. And I, I, I like hand off to you being a mother and, you know, being in a committed relationship and, you know, it's a life it, anxiety, but also those big, big chapters in your life are lifelong commitments. They don't just happen. And then everything is better. It's, it's a commitment you make to being your best self. And so I know that's a little off of anxiety, but I, I, it's it's incredible. No, I I do think it all relates, and it's funny that you say you know people always chasing the next thing uh, because of dopamine and that correlation to anxiety. I think of Shane, who is the busiest. Like I think I'm the busiest person I've ever met, but then I he's the busiest person I've ever met. Uh, like right now. So he has two successful podcasts. He does all of my management for social media. He is currently writing a TV show that he's going to act in. He's writing, he's producing, and he has a full-time job that he is a director and producer for 95. And a dad of two working from home, partner. And it's there's so many things. And he cannot sit still and then he'll always say like ah like you know when this is over I'll get a break but then when the break comes he picks up another project and there's always something that needs to be going on constantly since I've known for the six years we've been together and it's crazier now because now our business is doing well right so it's just it's nuts it's nuts and 
could that be related to his anxiety? You, I, as I, as you were saying that, I'm just nodding my head because I'm like a lot of us who experience anxiety that manifests itself in like excessive worry. Some of the ways in which people cope, and I, I'm not going to speak to whether it's good or whether it's bad. I think that's for the person to decide. But I think what it is is looking at. I think choosing to be really busy could be a bunch of different things. It could bring you a lot of self-worth, but I think for people who are really anxious, sometimes it is a strategy to cope with not having to deal with all that's going on in our heads. Mm-hmm. And it, and I was thinking about you today and, and thinking about coming to talk to you because what I recently discovered was my mom has always told me as a young kid that I, I always needed to be doing something. <laughs> yeah. And she, and she threw it like, she, God bless her, but she threw it in my face. Like, oh, you were the the child that just never got enough. <laughs> you Sunday all day out, you get home and you're like, well, what are we going to do next? And I see <laughs> yeah. that in myself today, but I realized like, wow, maybe that was my way of coping with anxiety as a kid, because you don't, you don't understand, like you can't pinpoint at seven years old and say, oh, you know, I need to keep myself busy because there's all these thoughts that are running through my head. Little can you, not that you can't, but it's a lot more difficult for children to come out and say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Like, why do I keep thinking about the same thing over and over and over again? And so, I mean, I can't speak for Shane to say whether or not that that he is finding himself consistently attracting new projects or jumping into them as something that he, I, I'm sure he absolutely loves it, mm-hmm. but is there a component of him kind of coping with his anxiety through it? There is a great possibility. And I, I would love if he would speak to that, but I don't, I wouldn't doubt it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't doubt it. No, I wouldn't doubt it either. I, I definitely, I definitely think so. And you know, if that's his way of coping and possibly yours when you were young too, what are other ways that in, in healthy ways that people can cope with anxiety or things that they can do to help ease their own anxiety? I love that question because I feel like this, the mainstream answer is like, meditate, Mm -hmm. yoga, this, that, and those are all very important. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of journaling because journaling allows me to rationalize my thoughts. It's a, it's huge in my practice. Mm -hmm. I like to move my body, but uh, something I've recently learned about myself is as much as I would love to do things that are high in cardio or, you know, raise the heart rate, I can't do that because it mimics my anxiety. And so I can't in those moments, just like distinguish whether this is just because I'm exercising or if it's because I'm actually experiencing my levels of anxiety. Um, I would say one of the biggest things, and I don't know if this would fall under coping mechanisms, but I would say one of the pivotal moments that I had in my healing journey of anxiety was it's this, it sounds the easiest and it's, one of the hardest things to do, but is recognizing that you are not your anxiety, finding a way to distinguish that the two of you are completely different. And what I, and this is going to be really funny to you, but one of the things that I did was I named my anxiety and my anxiety's name is Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know where Lucy came from. I just, I was like, I love it. You, you, and I've done that with every person that I, I collaborate with. Natasha, my anxiety is named Lucy as well. 
<laughs> oh, poor Lucy. Uh, she, she, she can deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. But truly, like being able to distinguish that through naming it and labeling it and identifying it as something that wasn't me changed oh changed a lot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say, you know, in if if you if you're having difficulty saying, okay, well, these are the coping strategies, I know them, list them out start with working on being able to distinguish that you are not your anxiety. Right. Another thing is, is like, what I like to do is if you're so, if you're still like, I don't know how to manage my anxiety, start to make lists or notes, mental notes, physical notes of when your anxiety presenting itself, what it's doing to you. And if there's any patterns you can identify and the pattern, noticing the patterns isn't necessarily to avoid because that's something that people do. They'll avoid situations in order to not have to deal with the anxiety, but look at that and see what small, and I I really emphasize small steps you can take towards showing your anxiety, who is clearly a different identity in my world, that you're capable of taking control of your life. Because at the end of the day, all anxiety wants is to control. All it wants us to do is to keep us safe. And sometimes the ways in which we are keeping ourselves safe is not what's best for us. Yeah. We're just staying in this like very comfortable level, but it's it's not improving anything for us. So I would say, you know, depending on where you're at, there's a bunch of different things you can do, but I would say start by recognizing that you're not your anxiety in whichever way you have to, if you want to name it, name it, if whatever that looks like for you, and then start to look at the patterns, start to try to understand if there's a trigger around it and then take small steps. Do not overwhelm yourself. Do not tell yourself, okay, I have anxiety. So every day I'm going to meditate, journal, exercise, eat healthy. Like that's not realistic. And we all know that when we put unrealistic expectations on ourselves that never succeeds. So say, start with really, really small steps. Mm-hmm. That's where I would start. I know. I like that. And I, I like even thinking about, you know, meditation and yoga as a good practice, but again, not for everybody. Like Shane and I, before the kids were born, when we had some more time on our hands, we had a membership to like, have you seen those salt baths where you like go yeah. into a pod? Mm-hmm. So we would go into a pod, like a dark pod with some weird lighting and like space sounds or whale songs and float for an hour. And I would chill out. Like I'd end up falling asleep. Shane would not be able to turn off his brain and he wouldn't float. He'd just kind of sit there in this salty bath and think about things. And he'd never come out, like he'd come out of it feeling relaxed, but not not in the same way that I did. And it's hard, like even for me to do, sit there and do meditation sometimes. It feels near impossible. I feel like you have to really want that. But somebody like me who has people that suffer from anxiety in in my family and in my circle, what can I do to support them? I know you talk like a lot about this. And even from your experience, what do you look for in the people around you? What could they do better? What what can people do that's actually harmful? Because I definitely say things, and especially more before, that were probably more harmful than than they would help, you know? Yeah, I would say, first of all, be compassionate with yourself on that because we, like, mental health, you know, I think is being spoken about a lot more now, but I don't think, 
I don't think we were like, I don't think my generation or your generation was really equipped with mm-hmm. supporting people through that. So, you know, if you, if you were the type of person that's like, just relax, it's going to be okay. Like try not to, you know, dwell on that or make yourself feel bad about it, but also use that as a lesson. Now, no anxious person loves being told to relax or calm down because that's really not going to change the situation. And you see social media, everyone loves to make a joke of that myself I'm like yeah if, if being told could just if being told to relax could just cure relax. my anxiety I would love that yeah I would love that why not but I think the biggest thing you can do is meet that person where they're at and by that I mean communicate with them in a way that doesn't make you sound like you know what's best for them because truth is right. you don't know what's best for them so right. asking them things like what can I do to support you in this moment are you open to talking about what's going on in your mind? And maybe we can kind of help you understand. And if they are saying to them, okay, like, let's rationalize here. What is the likelihood of this thing happening? I think ultimately it's just about not making the assumption. That you, and if that person isn't able to speak about it or doesn't necessarily communicate that they want support, letting them know that when they are ready, you're going to be there and that you want to support them. And, just really validating things like, I don't know what your experience is like, and I really wish you didn't have to go through it, but I'm here to help you. Mm-hmm. I'm here to stand by you. And if that means holding your hand as you are feeling what you have to feel, if that means giving you a hug, if that means giving you space, because that's a big thing is when people are anxious, they sometimes need space. And as a loving person in someone's life, you kind of want to, you want to show them that you care, that you're there to support them. But sometimes we're just like, no, leave me alone. Because if I can sit with myself for 10 minutes and I can calm myself down, that gives me the ability to be able to communicate with you um, what I'm feeling. All right, Natasha, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We are supported by Mini Miosh, a premium organic, ethically made and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Mini Miosh believes in quality over quantity and they make... I am telling you the best basics for your kids, like fashionable wardrobe staples that are soft, comfy, and timeless and can be passed from child to child regardless of gender. And I'm living the dream right now. I'm wearing a mini mouse shirt right now. I know. And I was wearing one all day, a sweater. I was wearing an adult mini miosh sweater. Our dreams are coming alive. Yeah. Is, can anyone buy this? Or Yeah. Oh, they went well. They went live uh, on the 13th today. I never thought I'd see the day, but I'm glad the day is now. <laughs> Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. They're on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrive on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. You can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your entire order. This is available in Canada and in the U.S. And again, that is minimiosh.com and This Family Tree 15. But we are also supported by... Bravado Designs. They make what, Shane? The best bras that you could ever wear. Yeah, the best bras you can get your hands on, your boobs into, that you can just feel yourself in. So I got introduced to Bravado when I was breastfeeding Lucy, and I sent Shane to the store to get me a bra. He grabbed me Bravado Designs just just by fluke, by chance. It was a chance. happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. <laughs> and it was truly kind of life-changing because I haven't gone back to any other kind of bra. But Bravado Designs has, as you guys all probably know, because they're known for it, 
the best nursing bras you can get your hands on. I mean, they are so practical. They're easy to use. And I hate fiddling with stuff. I'm not a good fiddler. You know, I got these fat Polish sausage fingers. But I was really good at getting those bras apart and nursing with them. And it was really comfortable. They were soft. They didn't irritate my chafed nipples. I can say that, I guess, right? We're talking nursing bras. We can beep it. And uh, no, but they truly were so comfortable. But now it's so great because Bravado Designs has an everyday collection. So these bras are not for nursing mothers. They do not have clips. They are just for everyday wear. And you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And say goodbye to chafed nipples. And now let's get back to our interview with Natasha. I I wish I was better at that. And that's my problem because not only do I love hugs, love them, would hug people all day if people would let me and if it wasn't COVID. Um, But when Shane is, you know, dealing with anxiety, he does need space sometimes. But... I refuse, and and this is where I need to get better because I refuse to believe that because hugs work for me and make me feel better. I'm like, nope, nope, just stop. I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hug you. It's gonna feel better. You're gonna be okay. And then I'll give him a long hug, and sometimes I'll count it out to 20 seconds because there's scientific uh, evidence that hugs. What is it like 17 seconds? So there's, there's a certain amount of time that. A hug actually scientifically impacts the chemicals in your body and in your brain and the levels of, you know, the feel-good hormones and things like that. So sometimes if I – and again, I'm making assumptions, but I'll hug him for like 20 seconds. Sometimes it works. Other times he's just like, okay, yeah, yeah, you're done. Like we're good. (laughs) He walks away. But that's something I got to get better at too is like I know we don't respond the same way to – the same things or, or different things, whatever. So I need to get better at also understanding that, hey, in a moment of high anxiety, he might heal quicker just to be left alone. Yeah. And that's what it is. I think what people with anxiety want is for you to give them that autonomy to tell you mm-hmm. what it is that they want rather than making the assumption and that, that can root, I mean, that's me. And that probably roots back to my own childhood trauma and experiences in life, because I, I don't think that I felt I had a lot of control over decisions. So, you know, I wish I could say that this is the perfect formula, but I think it's like re- remembering that everyone is a human and we're so different. So mm-hmm. giving people the opportunity to choose what works for them. That's not to say also that I know there's a lot of like different mental health disorders that people at, at can't recognize when they actually need support. So I think it's, it's about, you know, following them through their journey and recognizing, okay, can this person like live a healthy, happy life? I'm not intervening all the time because that's, that's the tricky part too, is, and especially with children finding that like middle ground of yes. when do I need to intervene here? And when, when do I just need to recognize that this child needs like space to grow and have ownership over their own lives? And again, I give kudos to mothers because I don't know as an anxious person as of right now, how I'm not going to want to micromanage. 
heck out of my child. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. No, it is. And, you know, I, I want to stop and, and sit with this topic for a moment and anxiety and children. And again, this this was something that was not on my radar until I was much older and joked about, you know, like a lot of mental health stuff was joked about when I was in high school. Like it wasn't something that people took seriously. If you were suffering from depression up, like one of my good friends was suffering from bipolar. uh, And when we started talking about that, my ideas of it and my the way I approached it in conversation changed a lot. But until then, it was like if you had depression, if you had whatever, then you were kind of crazy. And, you know, it was it was more of talked about in like a humorous way. But I don't think it was because anybody was trying to be harmful or not supportive. I just think it was just a lack of information, a lack of how it actually affected people. And that's why I think discussing things is so great. But I think back to probably my earliest brush with somebody who had anxiety or, you know, other mental health disorders was a girl I went to elementary school with. So we probably would have been in third or fourth grade. And this girl came new to my school. I'm not I'm not going to say her name, but she came new to my school, had a difficult time making friends. We had a really small school, like there were 16 kids in my class from kindergarten to grade eight. So like really tiny. And she couldn't. It was really hard for her to be friends with people. So my parents spoke to me one day and my dad was like, you know, Alex, so and so her mom said that she throws up every morning and cries and cries and doesn't want to come to school. And then she gets brought to school. She always came late because of this and you know I tried to start reaching out and then like my friends were making fun of me for trying to reach out and then there's me wanting to fit in but also wanting to be kind and then I'm stuck in this weird place too and eventually she she left our school and went to a new place and probably started the whole process over because again she came new to my school so I don't know how many times she did this I feel sick thinking about that and thinking about what she went through and thinking about her mom now that I'm a parent, thinking about her mom watching her kid throw up and bawl her eyes out every day and plead not to go to school. How hard must that be as a parent? And for a kid to be going through that, right? It's so heartbreaking. And I mean, that that's very overt. And she obviously, you know, anxiety to some degree. But if your kid's not maybe at that level where they're getting physically sick and upset, how might we be able to to recognize anxiety or anything like that in our kids? Yeah. So I think something that you said about that whole situation and my heart like truly goes out to that mm-hmm. human. And I hope that, you know, as an adult, they have learned ways to heal that because I can only imagine how hard that is. But I also, when I look at that situation, I don't think it necessarily, and I'm not, I'm not commenting on parenting. I'm just saying what, what I think is a fact is I don't think that that child out of nowhere just started, you know, throwing up and having crying episodes before going to school. I think it could have started with something like, oh, you know, I, my stomach hurts. I don't want to go to school. And you start looking at that every day and you're like, oh, well, my, my stomach, my stomach hurts. Okay. Well now you just don't want to go to school. And, you know, there are kids who don't like school, but starting to ask the questions of like, what's going on at school? What do you like? What do you like about school? What don't you like about school? 
And, you know, and they, and doing it in a way that is very non-aggressive and not targeting for a child, like not making them feel like there is something wrong with them because they don't want to go to school, you know, giving them the human experience. Because I think a lot of the other, the other thing that brings up or could bring up anxiety is like the idea of like babying your child and like, or on the other extreme, pushing them into things where they're like very clearly trying to communicate with you that it's not making them feel comfortable. And so I think in these situations, you have to look at how often certain behaviors are like appearing in a child. Mm-hmm. You know, if they, if they're once a month, like, ah, oh, my stomach hurts. I don't want to go to school, but if it's every day, well, why don't you want to go to school? If they're, if they're, or if they're saying I'm not feeling well every single day and it doesn't necessarily have to go to deal with school, like, yes, you're going to take them to a doctor, but also trying to understand what is behind that. Um, I think something that's really powerful and something I know I would love to enforce in my parenting in the future too, is like, making space for my child to talk about what they're feeling, but also not having them identify with the feeling. So instead of saying, I am sad, saying something more along, along the lines or correcting them when they do of like, I'm feeling this way Mm. because that kind of, and, and I don't, and I can't say that I know how to do it yet because I'm not a parent and I haven't been in that situation, but I think, I think like, you know, language is so powerful Mm -hmm. and it's, something that I think needs to be understood from a very young age. And so when it relates to anxiety, I think had maybe I'd been taught something more along the lines of like, I'm feeling sad today versus being told that like, I'm the emotional child, because also you take that with you and then you grow up and you identify with it. So, you know, what I still identify as the emotional adult now. And there's, there's great parts to it. Cause that's ownership for me. And I'm okay with being emotional now, but I think there's also a part of me that I've like coddled that, that label and it's fed into my anxiety because if I keep telling myself I'm the emotional child, when I'm experiencing anxiety and it's coming out in an emotional way, I'm kind of validating it in a sense. I don't know if that sounds strange and I don't know how, like, I know I kind of segued off of children and how it presents itself, but a lot of the ways in which children feel anxious have like the, this, the quote unquote symptoms that they might feel are very similar to what you might experience in your adulthood. I just think it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder for them to process how they're going to communicate that with words specifically. And so if you can be the catalyst for that and say, how are you feeling today? Or have open conversations about why they might be feeling off about certain things and analyzing when they're, when they're in these states of distress, like what is triggering that? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot, it's a lot. And like, again, that like, I'm sitting here listening to that and I'm like, wow, parenthood. And I'm also like, oh my God, this is going to eat me alive. When I get <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, I can't praise parents enough because mm-hmm. I feel like everyone does the best with the knowledge that they have. And so when I hear you, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot. Oh, it's, it's hard. And even with, you know, Lucy, she's in preschool right now. Uh, and when she gets in the car, if she seems sad or something like that, you know, my immediate reaction, I get my back up and I'm like ready to fight a toddler. I go, what happened? What happened today? Like who is mean to you? Cause I don't, I don't say who is mean to you. I let her come out with it, but I'll ask her what happened. And there's this one kid 
that every single day he's giving her a really hard time. And it's like, yeah, I'm wanting to fight this three-year-old. And, you know, I, I don't want her to develop anxiety because this kid is being mean to her or taking her toys or pushing her over or pinching her or whatever it is. And I, I try to be there for her in ways and hear her out, offer solutions, talk to the teacher, tell him you don't like that, you know, just things like that. But it's it's tough. And I never know when, when I think about anxiety in children or mental health in children, I often think, well, how do you know it's just not them being shy or them wanting to stay home? Like Lucy this morning woke up with body aches. She was saying her her skeleton was hurting and her bones were hurting. And I was like, oh, and she goes, I need some candy. And I was like, oh, yeah, the <laughs> Halloween candy. And then I'm like, she's lying for the Halloween candy. But she's not lying. All day she has had, I'm guessing, body aches. And now her brain is hurting. So she's got headaches now too. So it's like she's actually not feeling good. But it, it was hard for me to make that distinction. And it took me watching her sick all day to believe her in a sense. You know what I mean? But I can also appreciate that because I think – I think there has to be a fine line. I'm like, I just love books and I love learning about what other people talk about, but I think there has to be a fine line. Um, the holistic psychologist, Dr. Nicola Perra talks about how parenting isn't about, I don't, I'm not, again, might butcher this, but she says that parenting isn't about micromanaging how your child is going to behave or trying to like control the outcome. It's mm-hmm. about giving them the space to, live in their human experience, but always know and feel comfortable and and safe enough with you to come back when they're feeling like they can't handle it on their own. Uh, I, and I just, I don't know, it sounds so simple, but it's like, we forget that children are very intelligent and they know what they're doing. Look like not to, to, to discount poor Lucy, like she probably wasn't feeling well, but she kind of like, she tricked you a little bit. She's like, Oh yeah. And, and we don't give credit to these children because we're like, you guys are so much smarter than you think. So we think, finding the line of in a situation like with this, this like little three-year-old bully being able to give Lucy that autonomy to go Mm -hmm. out there and fend for herself, but also enough support that she feels like if I can't deal with this anymore, it's time to go to mom. And to tell you what the formula of that is, I couldn't tell you again, Mm -hmm. not a mother, God bless. But, um, but I think it's just, it's, it's so interesting to hear about. And, yeah, I would say like, in terms of, of all of that, it just comes back to like, you know, keeping track of the behavior, but also not being like a micromanaging parent either, because in, yeah. oh my goodness, if I don't come and do something about this, what if my child um, starts to feel unsafe at school and they develop some sort of mental health struggle? And that's natural for you because you're a parent and you want to protect mm-hmm. your child. Well, it's... It's a lot. Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it goes between wanting to protect them from the world and then wanting them to experience the world. And it's totally cyclical because then it comes back to your own anxiety and your own hang-ups with parenthood and not wanting to, you know, screw up your kid for the rest yeah. of their life and have them sitting with a coach or a therapist in 20 years being like, my parents did this and that's <laughs> why I'm like this. And that's a huge fear. And it's like just all of it. You know, you want to protect them but you also want to give them that autonomy that we've been talking about and it is so difficult so I I feel like somebody's going to be anxious and in our family relationship at all times you know 
whether it's the kid because I'm not letting them do something or I'm letting them do too much of something or it's me because of the same reasons. But it is so tough. And and I think that there's so much value in learning about these things, especially if we don't go through them, especially if we're like me and have really had no experience. And in talking about them, seeing the different ways that, you know, anxiety alone can affect people because it seems to wear a million hats. And that's one of, you know, a million mental health disorders or issues that somebody can have. And it, it, it is so beneficial. And Natasha, like your work is so needed. Uh, and I, I totally appreciate what you do. And I, I want you to tell me about Come Heal With Us, because that's a new project that you are taking on, right? Yeah. So my partner, Stefania, and I met on the wonderful world of Instagram. Both of us kind of created a page just to share our experiences with anxiety. And I'm not really sure the initial conversation that connected, but we just knew right off the bat that we had a great, there was a great energy to it and we wanted to do something together. So mm-hmm. We brainstorm and we have some other things in the making, but uh, Come Heal With Us is essentially a seven-week virtual program for people who want to learn about their inner child, who want to meet their inner child and work on healing their inner child. And healing doesn't necessarily have to be something that sounds daunting or inherently bad. We all have inner inner children that that should be celebrated and should be acknowledged in our day-to-day lives. And so the program is essentially aimed to do that. And through workshops, through community, and most importantly, through journaling, that is the opportunity to, again, meet and love your inner child. It's a virtual community because that's obviously what is accessible with COVID (laughs) right now. I I would love in the future to be able to do like live workshops and uh, programs, but that's kind of the, the, um, the synopsis Mm -hmm. of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And where can people find you online, Natasha, whether it is your coaching services, you on social media, all of that? Yeah, so my Instagram is um, my anxiety coach at my anxiety coach. I also have a website that outlines some of my coaching programs. That's www.myanxietycoach.ca. I'm like telling myself in my head, what is it again? <laughs> and I'm on Facebook. I am not a stranger to DMs as long as they are respectful and with the intended use of connecting with me, I'm happy to reach out to people there or there's the email button in my link, but there's lots of exciting things coming my way, just as they are with you guys. And I love keeping up with everything that's going on. I love your content. I, (laughs) I just, I am just obsessed. I'm like, I'm like this little family. Get out of here. (laughs) I love it. I seriously love it. I like, I talk to my partner all the time. I'm like, okay, when are we having children? (laughs) And he's like, slow down. Kyle's the best. I say, do it up. Do it up. Uh, Get it done. To hear from you though. <laughs> no, I I want to see your little life growing on socials and things like that. I want to keep up with yours because uh, you're wonderful, and this is my first time meeting you. And of course, I think Kyle is so wonderful. So, yeah, all the best to you guys and Natasha. All the best with your business. Um, Thank you. With everything you do. Again, I'm Thank so you. glad that my mom kind of introduced my husband to it and then he introduced me to it but my mom actually she she's one of the people that kind of doesn't understand or didn't used to understand mental health right just because of her generation 
But she told me today on the phone uh, this morning, she was like, yeah, you know, just I'll see something that she posts or a quote or a, a message or a meme. And it really makes me feel good before my day. And it really helps me start work off, you know, on the right foot. So I wanted to tell you that because that's kind of how she was describing her. Aww. Yeah, her appreciation for you. And I thought that that was the best. So he's so sweet. I get like I get all her DMs of like if I post a story, she's like beautiful. I'm like thanks, Lord. <laughs> thank you. I I just I, I I mean both of your parents are amazing. Your brother's amazing. You are clearly very amazing. I hope one day we also get to meet in the oh, flesh. Yeah. It's it's been such a great experience. And you made this like this super super easy for me. Like, (laughs) I can't tell you, I can't tell you how anxious I get before podcasts, especially when I'm like, I don't really know the questions that are going to be laid out. And there's a lot of anxiety about having conversations, right? So you know what, maybe I'm not the most uh, anxiety accessible podcast host, Natasha, because I just tell people, people ask me for a question. I'll just be like, oh, we like to keep it loose. That's not very helpful. Maybe I'm sending somebody into like a downward spiral. Do you think I'm doing that? I think, no, I think, I think, I think anxiety, I think podcasts are meant to feel like a conversation. And so I try to like not get too caught up in like what the questions could yeah. potentially be. I also felt very safe with you. So I just feel like I didn't need to do that. But I also think people in my situation who have like made a commitment to healing anxiety need to be put in, in situations where they're out of their comfort zone. So for me, I appreciate it. It might be something you want to think about moving forward. Like, oh, mm-hmm. how are you feeling about having a conversation openly mm-hmm. or do you feel like you need something? But I, I know as a listener and as someone who like is consuming <laughs> the information, I like when it sounds like, a, I like when it sounds like this conversation, this is what it was. It was mm-hmm. a conversation, but yeah. not, I, I feel great. I think this was, I not think, I know this was such a great experience. I'm glad that I didn't flake out last minute. Yeah. I went to Cal <laughs> and I was like, I really like what they do. I was like listening to your podcast. I'm like, I am not going to sound like that. Listen you, to this. No, you, sounded, you sounded fantastic. You know your stuff. And I uh, so appreciate your time today, Natasha. Well, I really I, do. And I'm looking forward to the chance that we can all meet around the campfire up at uh, yeah, the Family Cottage. I heard we're, we're supposed to head up there this winter. So I hope sooner than later. Yes, yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. And I would also like... I don't know what your um, what your timeline is for posting or any of that stuff, but I would love to like be able to share it on my story or you know promote it in any way possible. We'll put it out there. Um, I'll send you links. We're super behind because of all this shit that Shane's doing right now. We are super behind on our video promos and like things like that, but uh, it'll be out within the next two weeks. I'll let you know. Um, and then when we promote it with video, we can send the assets over to you and then you can also use those. I would love that. One more question because it's, it's going to eat at me. I know you're a Pisces cause I've asked your mom <laughs> and I know Jake's a Pisces cause I, I know Jake and I know your whole family's chart, but I need to know now what Shane is. He's, he's a Taurus. Ah, you guys get along well. What is I'm that? surprised. That he, I'm surprised he's the one with the anxiety. Yeah. Tauruses are, I mean, you have to look at his whole entire chart. I'm a very, like, I'm into the spirituality okay, stuff. Okay, you so. gotta, I, I need all of this. I need all, I want to hear this. I know nothing I, of this. Find out, find out what time you were born and what time he was born. Okay. 
Okay. Then. Is that uh, where like the sun and the moon come in? Is that what that is? That's where it all comes in. But, but to, like just from a, a general standpoint, Pisces and Taurus do really, really well together. It's water element and earth element. And Taurus typically tend to be the very like stubborn, but loving they're like stubborn and loving and Pisces are very emotional, but I think you must have a lot more earth in your chart because you're very rational. Like I feel like I get like Capricorn energy from oh, you. Rational, energy. rational, but emotional, especially yeah. right, right now, Natasha, because I, I, uh, I, a therapist told me I have postpartum rage. That's what it's called. And, uh, Working through that, the emotions have been heightened, I will say. <laughs> the, height, the, the emotions being heightened is a really good thing for you because if you've like held it back for a little bit, you kind of, it's like, you can't let it, like you can't mm-hmm. keep pressing it. You need to like let it out. But that's how I, I feel. That's what the rage is doing. It's letting out yeah. all the stuff I've been pissed off of over the last yeah. five years. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. But it gets easier when you start learning how to like work through it healthy. And I'm glad that like, you know, you're open to saying, Hey, I'm getting support from a therapist. Cause mm-hmm. I think all I really don't think that I think everyone would benefit from therapy or mental health coaching or whatever the case may be finding community. Like, I don't think there's one person who's like, I don't experience stress. So, you know, finding those outlets and hearing other people talk about them is super powerful. No, I totally agree. I totally agree. And conversations like this, again, like they help so much. But um, Natasha, truly. Thank you so much. I'll let you know when everything comes out. And yeah, looking forward to meeting you in person eventually. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. I am wishing you all the best. Uh, Tell my little Lucy, I hope she feels better. But also, I hope she's not the source of anxiety. (laughs) I will. And say hi to Kyle for me, okay? Love you. Okay, see you. Bye. Bye. Good job. I feel less stress and anxiety already. Good work. I was talking to Natasha, but... (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) No, she was fantastic. And again, so happy that not only did she sit down, like share her knowledge with me, but sharing her own experience uh, with everything, I find so helpful. And, And I really appreciated that. But amazing topics. I never considered anxiety in kids. And then, you know, if you listen to the interview, it kind of made me look back on friendships that I had and classmates that I had that were clearly going through anxiety in like elementary school and as a kid you just don't realize that and now as an adult I look back on those situations and I feel terrible I feel sick about it and I think that as a parent it's so good to be aware about you know what other kids might be going through you know even if you could help your kid be a better friend to them and things like that but we are at the mailbag segment this is where we get listener questions you answer them all if the things you don't know you look up on the internet But I know nothing about what you're about to talk about, and I'm very excited, curious, and anxious. Well, let's do it. Okay, first question. So we have three from last week. We kind of teased at the end of last week's episode. We had three questions that we were a little too tired to get to, and they were also controversial kind of, or one was, so we wanted to save them until we were a little bit more awake. So first one might be controversial, but it's an easy controversial one. Sex on a first date, yes or no? Yes. I'm going to say in your hands if you're feeling safe and comfortable and that's what you want i would think that's a given yeah Yeah. sorry i was just wondering like would you ever do it like i think it's a given that you need to be safe and comfortable but sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah no no no. i i I think as long as what you want then you shouldn't feel a certain way 
about wanting that or about doing that. But again, then also don't feel like you should because a lot of people are only out there for sex. And if that's not what you align with and if you want to find somebody that you're romantically, you know, attracted to or whatever, then don't do it. Like know know what you're getting into on a date. Know what you personally want from it. And then, you know, be confident in your decision. But yeah, exactly. Next question. Forced abortion on women who seem like unfit mothers. It's a controversial topic, but I think it's important. So this came in from a listener. I'm, I was kind of confused about what take they had on it or what they were kind of asking us. But I just want to say that, you know, like, if you're coming from the perspective of maybe there should be forced abortion, undoubtedly, yes, there are a lot of children in foster care. There's a lot of children in the government system, and that obviously can be harmful to children in a lot of ways. However, and this is huge, who's making the calls on the abortions? Because this is going to, as you know, any period in history, any country has shown us that this is going to impact marginalized groups way more. And like even in Canada, there were forced abortions. Shane, what year do you think, and this is like known, what year do you think was the most, um, the last year that there were forced abortions recorded in Canada? To be honest, and I might sound like a bit of a dum-dum here, but I've never heard of forced abortions before in my life, and I know absolutely nothing about this topic. So there were abortions and uh, sterilizations performed on Indigenous women as recently as 2019 that have been recorded and reported. Jeez. Right? 2019. And it's super interesting because the, you know, infrastructure, what word am I looking for? Like the system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so systematic in Canada that until 1972, Alberta, which is one of our provinces, if you are not from here, they actually had a law requiring, requiring the forced or coerced sterilization of people that were considered, quote unquote, mentally defective. And in British Columbia, they had the same law until 1973. So the people that are mentally defective... These targeted different groups, so Eastern Europeans, Inuit, First Nations, Métis, and these people were targeted and were coerced or forced into sterilization so they could never have children, like never have kids. They would take these women in, and I've read accounts from Indigenous women where they go in for an appendix. They come out with a hysterectomy, no uterus. Okay, so this is pretty much a, a layup in terms of opinion. It seems like I'm not for it then. No, 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 no. So I'm just, I'm saying, you know, you can't have people, you can't have a bigger system making the rules on who is mentally unfit because they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to do that. And what if somebody is mentally unfit at one time? I mean, I could think of any moment in my life, like, I mean, today in Shopper's Drug Mart where I might look mentally unfit, but does that mean I'm unfit to be a mother the rest of my life? Or can somebody not get better and improve on themselves? So we're taking away the idea of second chances and redemption well, I, I and learning. I would think there's some mental illnesses that are, oh, are not able to be cured as easily, you know. I yeah. think that I think that's what it's referring to, but this whole topic i think it would be very weird if i was commenting on it because i am literally learning on the fly here yeah no no no, absolutely so yeah 
I I think that it is a slippery slope when you start forcing some women into abortion or a sterilization and you know, there's no way to have a totally impartial system well, a being the judge. Slope. That seems like you're usually people say a slippery slope is when you're starting with something True. rather They're minor. Wrong. It's like a, quite a big <laughs> thing. To, if that's where your, your starting point is. I, I guess it's immediately off a cliff yeah. when you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. Bad choice of words. But yeah, no, there's no fairness there. And it's impossible to ensure that it would be. Anyhow, next question. Love your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> we got a mixed bag this yeah, week, baby. Um, Love your podcast. How do you approach meals for the week? Plan it or wing it? <laughs> we wing it. <laughs> we used to plan it with, we used what? Chef's plate? Yeah. That was like I, the I best would, time I of my be life. S- <laughs> <laughs> what was the best time of your life? That four week period where we had chef's plate and our honeymoon. <laughs> But yeah, I think Chef's Plate is great. I would also say it was the best time in our food life. Oh my God, yeah. Where we just knew what we were getting every week. However, I do try to get a thing of ground beef every week and have a beef bowl for lunch. Mm -hmm. And that is just beef in a bowl with some hot sauce on it. Sometimes I'll throw some cheese in there if I'm feeling naughty. But I do like it and it tastes great to me. So... That's my routine typically. However, when I'm in a more stressful period, I might go for fast food more. That's my comfort is food, what I go to to make and me feel And is better. that why there is still a beef bowl in the fridge that hasn't been eaten? Uh, no, that's because sometimes I you, you order too much meat, but I'll make mm. it all. And usually the hope is that you will Have a taco ma- night. make tacos, but you haven't been touching the beef I don't know what's good and what's not. Let's just start fresh from this week. If there's yeah, because that beef's all moldy in there. Is it? It's probably is now. Oh, Shane! If you know what's moldy, it's got to go in the trash. I'm scared to touch it. Get get out of here! I have to build up the courage. You're a baby. I'm not saying I'm hoping you do it, which I am, but (laughs) I'm avoiding it because I feel like I need a half hour window where I have the courage and there's no kids around. And is your stomach that weak? Well. I don't like looking at it. It's something I just procrastinate on is bad stuff in the fridge. I get scared of it. You don't? I feel like everyone's scared of bad stuff. Oh, it's like gross, but I'm fine getting rid of stuff if there is something You leave stuff a lot in the fridge. Well, then it's unintentional. Okay. What's the next one? (laughs) So wait, I just want to say- on this? No, no, no. On it still. So yes, we wing it like nuts, but uh, what I loved about getting the meal delivery plans- because people are like, oh, it's so wasteful, blah, blah, blah. It's wasteful in a way. And I can almost guarantee, I mean, we haven't looked into it for two years, but there's got to be meal companies now that have low waste packages. What I found it great with was the fact that we wasted way less food mm-hmm. when we had it because they give you exactly what you need. No more. It's perfect. You eat it all up. It's gone. You don't have any weird thing going bad in the back of your fridge because you forgot you bought it. So you just buy your lunches, buy breakfast, and then. Yeah. And wasting all that beef uh, contributes to pollution. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I think it's opposite of wasteful if you do it properly. But. Next question. Does your husband remind you of Dax Shepard? Yes, he does often. Shane, do you remind yourself of Dax? 
Sometimes, but with this new haircut, I feel like I'm just someone even more handsome mm. than Dax. Like who would that be? Zach Braff, maybe. No, I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, yeah, I get Dax and Zach a lot. Who but. else? Because there's somebody else. Who else? Uh, you look oh, like that guy from Narcos. I oh yeah, that hottie. And short hair, yeah. Mm-hmm. You look like he's a- in a video, a music video with. Uh, uh, who's that one who wears the mask all the time? Time of my life. Sia. Sia. Yeah, he's in a video with Sia. And when that video was at its peak, it would be all the time. Mm. Uh, yeah. You look like Cole Sprouse's dad. Cole, who's Cole Sprouse's dad? Oh. Well, I don't know who his dad oh, is. But you, you, but you know you who look his like... dad is? His dad was like Johnny Depp imitator. No, like I, I don't Ulrich know who his... From the movie Scream. Oh, I don't know who that is. But I'm just saying you look like you could be his dad. Like you look like an old old version oh, of Cole Sprouse. Do you know what's funny? Because I'm looking this guy People up. have said Johnny Depp and Skeet Ulrich was a Johnny Depp like kind of doppelganger when he was in the Scream film. So it's funny you say that. It, but that's actually his, their dad? This no, guy? on the show. Let me see him. <laughs> that's, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, I'm talking about on the show that the one of those Sprouse kids is on called yeah. Riverdale. Yeah. It's... That's not his dad on the show Riverdale. You're bringing up his actual dad in real life, I think. No, I just typed in Steve Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich. Skeet. Skeet. Skeet's not a common name, so I so understand. So I, I just brought up a random picture of a guy named Steve. Yeah. Skeet. Who well, names a kid? You have to look Skeet. up young Skeet Ulrich because he's older now. Oh, no. I get, It's the vibe, maybe. But you have to look. Are you looking up old Skeet Ulrich right now, like current age? I'll look up some young Skeet. Hold on. Yeah, I think Skeet might have just been dating. <laughs> Saying Skeet this much is just fun. But I think he was dating Selena Gomez. Or he someone. looks like he looks like the guy in Donnie Jarko, too. See. But yeah. he, he looks a lot yeah. like Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. Yeah, yeah. A lot. So that's why I thought you were saying that. Anyway. Yeah, uh, no, but yeah, you- if I guess young Johnny would be the my preferred thing to look like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. What's your approach for buying presents, Christmas presents for your kids? I don't want to go overboard. So ultimately, I'm just going to start this all off with we should ultimately all of us be buying less and be conscious of what we're buying. So I know when the kids are young, like even last year for Lucy, we ended up getting her like one really awesome present. Like we got her a toy kitchen and then we got her like one or two other things that she would love. And then after that, like, I think we did her stocking with a couple new things, but then we just wrapped up toys that she forgot about. And she was so pumped on it. She was so excited. And my parents did the same too. They have these like little frogs at their house and they wrapped those up and gave them Lucy and she loves them. Like kids don't care. Yeah, you could give a kid a carrot and if it's wrapped up, they just go, (gasps) Yeah. Like it's it's so performative until they're like four or five. Like Betty, I don't want to get her anything. No, we'll get Betty like clothes or like we'll get Betty because I got her already a a set of soft blocks like for, you know, little like little toddlers. And then we'll get her like a new stuffy that's just hers. And then that's it for Betty. You know, she's fine. She doesn't need any more. But I was looking this up to see what other people thought because I know and ultimately, again, like do what's best for your family. But if everybody could buy less and be what's best for your family, but if we could be less a focused, a ton of gifts for our one year old well, is what's best. 
<laughs> but who knows if somebody had a hard year or something, you know, but I'm we just should thinking be, a one-year-old doesn't care. No, but you can't even think about three-year-olds, right? Even thinking about Lou. So I was looking this up and in yep. kids in general, I read a lot of great articles advocating for three presents. For and three this presents? is for three presents yeah. and then a stocking. Mm-hmm. But because with three presents, your kid has enough that they are feeling fulfilled for the quantity thing. But then it's not too much that they forget about the other gifts that they get. Because I love it. If you just keep giving your kid gifts, they don't even have time to process what they have and what they just opened because they're just excited to open something else and then open something else. And they're asking you for the next present before they're even done opening the first one. So three they feel like they scored big and then they actually get to engage with their gifts. And then especially if you get them a stocking with lots of little things in it, but then if you get them less than three and you have the means to get more, even if you don't like wrap up something from your house that they forgot about three, three is a good number. I think you like it. Yeah. Ground beef. <laughs> what's this mold? Mommy. Get out of here. But what's your favorite gift you ever got for Christmas? Mine's Sega Genesis. Nice. Oh, when I was a kid, the Furby. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That was very popular. That was intense. And my parents, uh, they didn't have one. And they told me not to be expecting a Furby because they couldn't get one. Like, they were sold out everywhere. And then on Christmas Eve, they went to Toys R Us just to get a couple of stocking stuffers, I guess. And uh, my mom asked like jokingly asked a sales clerk. She's like, oh yeah, you don't have any Furbies here, do you? And they go, actually, we just had one returned and it's hiding under the counter until somebody asked for it because it would have started like a freaking riot. So my mom's like, can I buy it? And they said, yes. So then I woke up the next morning, not expecting a Furby, but because I was so obsessed with the idea of it, I knew the box it was like a octagon or something. And I saw like an octagonal shaped thing wrapped under the tree and I was like oh my god so I opened it up and it was just the box and then my parents were like sorry Alex we really tried all we could get our hands on was a box and you know that's like a promise for a Furby in the future and I was like oh thanks mom and dad but then the next gift was the Furby out of the packaging (laughs) (laughs) and it was like the most exciting moment and I loved that freaking Furby I ended up having three in my lifetime do your parents let Santa have the best gift or them have the best gift? I don't know. Our stockings are always pretty sweet and they still are. Yeah, like, stockings 100% from Santa. Santa, yeah, yeah. But 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 it's always smaller stuff, right? And then the best things always from parents. Yeah. What about yours? Yeah, I think the best thing from parent second best from Santa and then the stocking was even like a Santa mom collaboration. Mm, see our our stockings were only just from Santa. Santa didn't get us presents outside of our stockings. He didn't? No. Wow. Stockings were from Santa, everything else from mom and dad. Wow, I like even if you do a good stocking though, that's you must really love your parents on Christmas. Oh yeah. But I, I didn't even know that Santa left gifts other than the stockings. You didn't? That's the main thing he does. In all the movies, Santa's no, dropping he, gifts under the in tree. In the stockings. You've never seen a movie where Santa has a gift I that he puts know. under a tree? Santa has a whole toy shop. You don't put toys in the You put treats in the stocking. Yeah, but we always got two stockings each. And one was like a classic Christmas stocking. And then the other one would be like a women, a woman's stocking. But then all the toys in it would make it like 10 so feet long. So you'd get toys in the stocking, like real toys. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I'm learning a lot about you now. 
What's the next question? <laughs> is it connecting dots for you? Kind of. <laughs> okay. All right. If you could only have one of these in your relationship, what would you pick? Flirting or 100% comfort? Get out of here with flirting. Shane, no one's flirting in a relationship. Get out of here, you, because so many people messaged me about this in regards to last week's podcast. Because they're bullshitting because they don't even realize that they can't flirt because they like the idea of flirting. Shane, you know what I told them all? What? I said Shane's a dummy because he doesn't even realize that you do flirt in our relationship. I do? Yes, you do. But it's not like, oh, let's... I, I don't even know how to fake flirt. Clearly, last week was an example of that. But you flirt in our relationship. I, I might be overtly no, no, telling no. you I want to smooch, but I'm not flirting. Flirting requires a lack of comfort. No, Shane. Like you'll walk by and you'll like do something like touch my butt Pinching or something like that. Pinching your butt is not flirting. I'm sorry. It kind of is. That's it's harassing. A Shane- if you, you, that's <laughs> harassing a woman unless it's your wife or someone you're like uh, super comfortable with. Flirting is this thing that's undefinable and it's kind of in the air and it's a smirk and a way of behavior that is ambiguous yeah. and implies something that it's hard to pin your finger on because there isn't that level of comfort and it creates like a butterfly. Whereas me walking by and pinching your butt as I'm getting a coffee isn't like, Shane's flirty today. It is, that is flirty, you dingus. And you just said it, that it's ambiguous and hard to put your finger on. So how can you define it as not happening in a relationship when it's so ambiguous and hard to put your finger on? Okay. (laughs) There's nothing flirty about a butt pinch. Okay, well, what would you choose, Shane? Flirting or comfort? Comfort. I choose to flirt. Okay. <laughs> well said. I choose to flirt. <laughs> I could feel those words getting so mangled in my mouth. I'm sorry. I'm so giggly tonight. It's a uh... man. Okay. Yeah, if, you, if you ain't crying, you're giggling. <laughs> okay. Do you ever use essential oils? Do you think they're worth the hype? So. We use essential oils all the time. Like we have a diffuser, which we really love. We have it on right now. And like I know sometimes um, for headaches, they're nice and, you know, I don't know, different things. We've always had them in the house. Right now we're using Guru Nanda ones and we like them. But are they worth the hype? I don't know. It depends what you want them for. Because, I mean, look at any grouping of studies, like actual good studies on essential oils. And they are totally in contradiction they're mixed and like some things i mean you know some oils will lower your blood pressure for if you're around them for like two hours but then if you're around them for six hours they're going to heighten your blood pressure and you have to be so careful and the regular lay person doesn't know the dangers of oils or how to use them correctly So it can get difficult, but clinical trials that have gone on have looked at whether essential oils can actually alleviate conditions, you know, that a lot of the oil sales people will tell you they will alleviate, such as anxiety, depression, nausea, insomnia, low appetite, like, I don't know, hormonal stuff. Sometimes they tell you they'll cure everything, and they obviously don't do that. I actually learned something today, Shane, when I was doing my research on essential oils, Uh, diffusion in a public area or in a house, not necessarily a good thing. Because if you are diffusing peppermint, for example, Mm -hmm. which peppermint is in the mix that we're doing right now, 
It's actually bad for kids that are less than 30 months old and the kid can become agitated. Was Betty agitated today? She's always agitated. <laughs> Babies are always... And like, we're, we're not always diffusing oil. We did today because of all the construction, but... Uh, so yeah, it could actually have a negative effect. And it made me think of, do you remember I was having, like, I was really fluish and it was like a year ago or two years ago and I was super sick, super achy. And I was like, oh, I just want to have a nice bath with some peppermint to help, you know, clear out my airways and alleviate my headache and everything. So I get in the bath, but I put in too much oil in the bath and like, we're just talking like drops. Like I'm not Mm. shoving a whole... You thing burnt down your vulva. there burned my skin everywhere. F- yeah. Didn't it hurt your oh, vulva? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And it was like at first the water just felt really cold, but then it started to like feel so cold that it was hurting my skin and I couldn't get it off. I got out of the bath and I was drying off, trying to wipe it off. My skin was freezing, got in the shower, tried to soap it all off. Didn't matter. It had already soaked in. And for the next many hours, I was like in pain and shivering because I just had this weird oil induced like chill. So in that situation, do you think essential oils were good or bad? (laughs) Terrible. Okay. (laughs) Be very careful. In my mind, it's like Santa Claus. Mm -hmm. Does Santa change your mood? I think he does if you believe in him. So it's like anything. It's, oh, these essential oils are going to yeah. really change, make, relieve my anxiety if I feel like they're relieving my anxiety. So well, the, the, placebo. They're, but it's even honestly, they're more than a placebo. Like they work for certain things. They truly do. And but they have. Placebo truly works too. Yeah. So no, it but, can but aroma, aromatherapy does help for certain things. Like actually, it will actually lower your blood Placebo's pressure. Placebo is actual though. Some people hear placebo and they don't think it's real, Mm -hmm. but placebo is real with real results and actually changing real things. No. It's just you have to believe in it. Mm Placebo is real. Is Santa real? Santa, I would be very surprised if he's real. I think he's not real. (laughs) I could always like find gifts when I was a kid. I want him to be real. The spirit of Santa though is real. The spirit of Christmas is real for sure. Mm-hmm. I definitely feel the spirit of Christmas often. But Santa, I would be be like 99.9% <laughs> sure because right now we're the parents, right? Of and course. we're out there not to take this question too seriously, <laughs> but if we don't buy the gifts, gifts aren't they showing up coming. for Lucy. Mind you, maybe put us to the test and gifts would show up if we Ooh. didn't get them. I don't know. Maybe Santa's real until you don't need him anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's all good. You, all you good don't questions. think he's real. Like, honestly, I think my sister might still think he's real. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Santa's real? No, okay. I can't. I couldn't tell if you were asking me seriously. Or not. I am. Oh, no. You were asking me seriously, no. weren't you? Uh, no, I wasn't. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate the dedication of that answer. Uh, next question. What's wrong with Lucy? So I didn't know if this person meant just oh, in general know or uh, because of her sickness. So I, I asked and she clarified because she's been sick lately. And I was talking a little bit about her prescriptions. Let's so, be careful with these questions, people. Sometimes <laughs> that can be hurtful to the parents. <laughs> but Lucy, poor thing. So she's going on. This is the end of her third week, um, fourth week being pretty sick. So she had two weeks of a really... Uh, aggressive UTI because she, I think we think she tore something in her rectum. 
Um, and she was terrified, became all of a sudden she had been potty trained for a year perfectly. And she became so terrified of going to the bathroom that she wasn't going. She was holding it in and trying to go was just this this horrible situation. So she, got she was eat. forcing yeah. her poops and her butthole was coming out of her prolapsed. body like prolapse like a, it's like a disgusting puppet popping out of her <laughs> butthole that's what it looked like a mini puppet didn't it ew yeah i guess but that's like disgusting that's what i'm saying yeah um anyway it was a horrible situation she was in a ton of pain and she had to get like specialized antibiotics that were super expensive uh and i like i just wasn't expecting that but then after that, she had been off of the antibiotics for a week. She was feeling okay. And then she started to get sick again. Her fever spiked to 104. Uh, we took her into the doctor. She had a double ear infection and like a bad ear infection just so fast. Then she was on another week of antibiotics. And that does so much to a kid. And I, I feel so bad for her and what she's been going through. Because like, you know, we talk about her acting up and in in the first bit I was talking about losing my patience with her it's like she's been through the ringer for the past month month and she was home from daycare for a lot of it because she couldn't go because she was sick or not feeling good or having accidents so you know that's when you especially try not to lose your patience with your kid and I that's part of the reason I felt so bad for it but nah poor kid anyway what brand tank are you wearing so i have uh been sitting in the same how did the person know you're wearing a tank top i've been wearing it for two days (laughs) no i got it from h&m i went to h&m to get the kids a couple things because h&m kids just did a collaboration with disney and came out with like all these really cute sweaters so i wanted to grab a couple for the girls but then when i was in there you know their basics are just the best and my old t-shirt from h&m is like all stained up now so I grabbed this great tank and Is another this white t-shirt. what's called t-shirt. an integrated ad? No, no, it should be though. Sponsor us, H&M. Uh, but yeah, anyways, that's that. And the final question for the night. Is it ever okay to keep a secret in a relationship? And what I'll say is that, yeah, I think people are going to keep secrets in relationships. But secrets all often have a way of coming to the surface and then if it comes to the surface without you know that person being forthcoming then it's gonna cause more than if the person just said something uh and ultimately the person that has to carry the weight of a secret while it's still a secret is the person keeping that secret do you know what i mean does that make sense secrets being said a lot but i think There can be good secrets, and I think the word secret always brings to mind something evil or duplicitous where secret can be a really good thing. So I'm all for secrets as long as they're good secrets. There you go. Like if you walk down the stairs and I'm thinking, Alex looks like a wreck right now. (laughs) That's my little secret I have to myself. I don't need to share that. I don't need to ever tell you. It's never going to come to light. This has never happened, by the way. I'm just pulling a hypothetical. Christmas time. Lots of secrets floating around. I think those are all good secrets. So let's not give secrets such a bad rap here because good secrets can be great. I like ending on that positive note, babe. All right. Thank you all for listening to this podcast. I feel like our podcast is a bit of a secret. You want to know why? Why? No one's giving us a five-star rating anymore. Guys, what the heck? 
but we're gonna change that. We're gonna kick out some more promos because well, I haven't done should. a promo in what a year. You slacker. Yeah. So uh, I think we'll kick out the Doctor Drew one next week. But anyway, thank you so much for listening to this, this Family, Family Tree, Tree Podcast. Podcast, episode one ten.